In this episode of TWIP, I get to sit down with Rob Grimm. He's a St. Louis-based commercial photographer. We're going to be talking about how he has decided to incorporate AI into his workflow. This is TWIP. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. You know, the, the discussion over the past, man, I want to say about a year or so has been AI. You know, AI has taken over. AI is going to replace photographers, copywriters, lawyers, doctors, everything. And I don't agree with that. And uh, the conversation, a conversation I was having with my friend Rob Grimm yesterday kind of solidified that could because my mindset is AI is a tool. These these large language models or generative AI tools, they're tools to supplement what we're already doing. And smart photographers will figure out ways to use what they already know and push it forward using AI. Rob is doing that. Rob is doing exactly that. He was showing me some stuff that he's working on and how he's incorporating AI into his workflow. And it was mind blowing. This was just yesterday. And I said, Rob, you got to come on the show. <laughs> we got we to gotta talk about this and everyone needs to know and see what you're doing and why. So Rob Grimm, welcome to This Week in Photo, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. So let's start with a, just a little bit of background. People may, in the industry, I'm guessing most people in the industry know who you are already. You started a couple businesses. Your name is out there. Give us, give us the like the you know the the Cliff Notes version of the history of Rob Grimm leading up to today. Sure. And we'll dive in. The history of Rob Grimm. That's that that's lengthy, but let's just say I've been a commercial uh, photographer for over three decades. I've been specializing in food and booze for a long time, and really and truly, beverage is my specialty. Um, I do a ton of food work, but. There's something about liquids and glass that just really kind of speak to me. I just understand it. Um, and it's, it's where I'm the most comfortable. And that's where my clients seem to come to me for the most. Um, I've done a lot of things in my career. I'm, I'm now back in the business after some time off. I, I was um, a partner in running a, a, a tutorial company, um, teaching Photoshop and photography uh, online. And um, I've had a furniture design company in the past. And I've, I've done a few things. But... Right now, I'm keeping myself really busy just being back behind the camera, which is where I'm happiest, to be perfectly honest. Which is great, yeah. Yeah, and like I was saying in that intro, it, you're back behind the camera, but you're also spending a lot more time in the computer as well doing some stuff. So that's what I want to talk about. But not not everything, right? So a lot of people when a lot of people say, okay, AI, yeah, I'm going to get in mid-journey, I'm going to... It's all about photorealism. Yeah. I can make portraits that look photorealistic down to pores and sweat and doing all those things and eschew the whole, you know, uh, mirrorless camera thing. Leave the camera in the bag. I can start making images right now just with my MacBook, right? You're uh, not yeah. doing that. You're no, I didn't, somehow, fact, you figured out how to bring it, bring the chocolate and the peanut butter together. Like, let's talk <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I make peanut butter cups for a living now. Um, <laughs> So there, there are a couple of things I want to say about AI. I love it as a tool. All the AI work I do is still done in camera. Now that might sound completely weird and not make any sense, but I'm going to repeat that. 
All the AI work I do is done in camera. I've been in this business long enough where I know how important it is to capture something in camera because you're shooting it on eight by 10 film um, and you have to get it right in camera. That's just kind of my ethos. That's what I grew up on. So I do work with AI. I use it a lot now to tell brand stories in new ways, but I'm still using it as a tool in my production method and it winds up being on my set and, and captured in camera. There are a lot of photographers that are doing what you said. They're like getting these really detailed images of people with sweat dripping down their face and, you know, everything in bloodshot eyes, you name it. It's just the detail is incredible. Yeah. I don't understand that at all. And honestly, if you're a photographer who's, who's doing that, you got to explain to me why. Because from my point of view, I am seeing you replicate what you do for a living in a computer and not shooting at all. And that I don't understand. And now you're no longer a photographer in my mind. You're, you're a digital artist of some sort, but you're certainly not a photographer. I've even seen photographers put posts up about, this image is so amazing, I wish I actually shot it. To me, it's like, okay, so why didn't you shoot? Why didn't you use the AI as a storyboard for you to actually go out and make an image, but you've, you're, you're satisfied with this. Like you're, you're saying you're done. It's so good. I wish I shot it. So you're okay. You're now you are not a photographer. I don't know what you are, but you're not a photographer. So yeah. I'm baffled by, by people that are doing that. If you're replacing yourself, I'm, I'm lost. But what do you do then? Because I know I've, I've seen that comment too, from a lot of, yeah. a lot of photographers. What, like, what is the play here? Like we're moving, as we record this is we're moving towards the end of January of 2024. So who yeah. knows what the rest of this year will bring? 2023 was just insane in terms of all the things that got dumped on us as creators. 24, the money that's being dumped into this industry is astronomical, right? From, from yeah. all facets of AI and machine learning and bots and LLMs yeah. and all this stuff. So from a photography, I know none of us have all the answers, but from your perspective, the it, are we looking at a at a pivotal point in history where photographers need to morph into something else or or is it a split where there are the people that are like hey I wish I had shot that but you know I'm going to get back to making more photorealistic images or on the other side it's the the purest photographer with the lenses and the camera and going out in the field and booking tickets and doing all that stuff which one is the play? Somewhere, obviously, the truth is somewhere in between, but where? Well, I, I think that honestly, both might be the play. I think that if a photographer is resistant to AI, they can say, they, they, can, they can hang that flag and say, I am a photographer shooting traditionally. I am not going down the AI road. And they can probably find some work and make a name for themselves with that. Um, it is hard to know where AI is going to go because it is changing very, very rapidly. In fact, a year and a half ago, when I really kind of started playing around with Midjourney, it was pretty crappy compared to where it is now. And the first, the first few rounds of images I captured, I really couldn't use in my work. Um, not, the, not the way I can today. It, it's, it's a totally new game. Um, and you think about other things that have come out, um, like uh, Magnifique or however you pronounce it, AI, which is just an incredible upscaler and detailer. That's bringing a lot to what I'm using. Um, but by March, by June, by September of this year, it, everything may, may change. I think that what is important 
is you need to make a decision whether you want to learn about this or not. So if you want to say, no, I'm just going to be a traditional photographer, that, that's fine. You can do that. Um, if you're going to learn AI, I think you have to get on it. Uh, I kind of equate this to the transition from film to digital. When I was at a studio that I had been at for many, many years, digital kind of started to become a thing. And collectively, we had four photographers and we really didn't want to jump into digital. And you got to remember back then, the cameras were terrible. You know, it's like a 2.3 megapixel camera for, mm -hmm. you know, $40,000 and, and it had a, a, a cable, a, a SCSI cable attached to a hard drive on your hip. Like, they were not the best. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. SCSI cable attached yeah. to a hard drive you wore on your hip in order to get the 2.3 megapixel image off. Just crazy. Oh. Um, we didn't, we didn't want to jump in. We, we knew our film lots, our emotion lots. We knew exactly what we wanted to get out of this film, out of the film stock. So we waited and we waited and we waited. And then when we finally did jump in, there was a bit of a learning curve. And the photographers that did buy those crappy early cameras that produced horrible red noisy files, they actually already knew how to handle a lot of this stuff. They had been through a lot of the trials and tribulations. They had worked with clients on it. They had failed. They had succeeded. They were way ahead of us. So now we, we had to, to figure out exactly where we were going to go with digital. The amount of digital cameras had expanded greatly. So it's like, which choice do you make now? There, there was just a lot more that kind of came at us. And I think I in particular felt behind the eight ball with it. Uh, and I'm seeing that happen now. I, I don't want to be behind the eight ball with AI because there's no stopping it. The other equivalence that I'll make with AI, AI is very similar to desktop publishing and the typesetting business. Before the Mac became a thing and before desktop publishing even became a thing, you know, pr there were printers and typesetters, right? And they would set all the type in order to print these things out. Well, guess what happened? Typesetting completely went away with the advent of desktop publishing. Now, yeah. printing didn't go away, which they projected it would. They're like, well, printers are all dead. Eh, that's not necessarily true. So certain sectors of businesses are going to go away because of AI. AI is going to make our life easier. It's going to make it faster. It's going to automate things that we do. But it's not going to eliminate everything we do. And I think it's very important for us to learn those tools and figure out how we incorporate them into our workflow and then keep going forward. Um, no, that's my spiel on that. Yeah, that's no, it. that's good. And it, and it, it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. And I, I understand the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in this time, right? Because, well, what, yeah. and I've said this on the show before, a couple of years ago, we've been, but over the past several years, we, content creators, consumers, whatever, have been peppered with these acronyms, right? It was like just go roll back the clock on CES. We had first it was those 3D TVs, you know, or just starting from the 3D TVs, right? It's 3D TVs. They're gonna be all the rage. Everyone's gonna be sitting in the living room with their glasses on. Went, went, didn't work, right? Uh, right? And then not in any specific order. There's been a bunch of other technologies, 360 video, uh, virtual reality, NFT, right? All these things that they had yep. a start and they look promising, and lots of money got invested. And then nothing, right? Or less than nothing in some cases, like with NFTs, right? So, and then now we have this other, we have this other acronym that's now thrust upon us, AI, artificial intelligence. It's going to be the new thing, everybody, right? And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to wait a year or two 
and we'll see how it shakes out. AI will have its its Sam Bankman Freed moment and it will go away, right? To be replaced by another acronym in 25 or 26, right? I don't right. think that's the case with AI. And I think the fact that no. all of those other technologies kind of muddied the waters and generated this fear, uncertainty, and doubt about this technology is doing a huge disservice to these talented content creators out there that could be leveraging it and doing stuff like you're doing with the technology and pushing it forward and learning, right? I mean, like you weren't, were you on any of those bandwagons, Rob? Like any of the the, the acronym bandwagons? I, I didn't jump on the NFT thing. I didn't, I didn't really jump on a lot of that stuff. Um, and, and I think that one of the things that happened there probably is happening now in that there's an overwhelming factor to it, right? Like AI is big and scary because there's so many different things. Um, I think the NFT world was kind of the same. There's, I think with any of these disruptive technologies, they do disrupt and people start jumping on that and going in a hundred different directions, but that starts to filter out and the crap goes away and the things that aren't successful go away and the core of it remains. What's important, what's, what's resonating with people, what's a usable tool that remains. I think that's going to happen probably here with AI as well, that we're going to see just a huge flush in the next probably 24 months, there's going to be so many different AI things coming at us. Um, whether they're writing our papers or answering our emails or creating our images or, I don't know, controlling the, the temperature in our home, we're going to be inundated with stuff from tons of different companies. Some are going to succeed, some are going to fail, and I think there will be a natural kind of shakedown. The one thing I think is really different, though, with AI now than any other technology that we've ever had before is the human factor in that humans can be faked. Like we're, we're, we are getting into dangerous territory when you can take uh, a person and regenerate their voice and send out robocalls so that it sounds like them and it's not that at all. That's one thing that's really gonna be very different about this industry. And that's where I think governments, plural, around the world are gonna get involved heavily in making sure that AI doesn't become a machine for pure fraudulent activity, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's going to be a big thing. Um, and, you know, I, I just came from a meeting at a, an ad agency. I was sh showing my book and we were talking about um, the work I'm doing and the use of AI. And, and they're owned by one of the big conglomerates, right? And they have the concern of legality, indemnification with AI. It's, it's going to be a question. So, well, it sounds like, oh my God, AI is amazing and it's going to take over the world and we just have to run with it. Well, not necessarily. Ad agencies are very afraid of it. It has to be done properly. It has to be done within the right scope. The client has to understand it. The legal has to sign off of it. There's a lot of collaboration, a lot of conversation that's going to have to happen and does happen in order for AI to work in any kind of commercial setting. So it, it, it's not a runaway train. Uh, it's moving quickly. I think the faster you can learn about it, the better. But I think it's also going to start to shake out, if that makes sense. Some of the stuff's going to go away. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. And what you said about just sort of this this front-loaded bureaucracy that needs to get sorted out before we yeah. sort of hit stride with this technology, I look at that as a gift for a lot of people, right? So you now, the, the concrete is still wet, basically. So yeah. you have time yeah. to write your name in it, right? So, right. So, Right. Get over there and learn this stuff. Like you don't have to, I, I preach this all the time. You don't have to like start using it or be some fanboy for AI or 
you know, OpenAI or Sam Altman or or whoever, right? Just understand what an LLM right. is and how and how it kind of works, which is not that complicated for the most part. And these generative AI tools, whether it be in Adobe or online like Firefly or Midjourney or Leonardo.ai, any of these tools out there, just play with them a little bit so you understand what is possible. And then I think once that happens, the synapses in your brain start firing. And then like a Rob Grimm, you're like, well, holy hell, I could use this like this and augment what I'm already doing and have even more power, right? That's and that's kind of yeah, a, what you did, a, right? Yeah, for me, AI literally replaced a component of what I was already doing. So it didn't completely reinvent the wheel. It didn't, it didn't do something that I've never done before. It has done something that I have incorporated in, in my workflow for a long time in a very new way. And it's giving me power to, to use that tool in a very new way. Um, creating backgrounds, and we're talking about creating backgrounds, the way I generate images. Um, before, I would, I would have to create a set in my studio, or I'd have to go out and I'd shoot a backplate, and I'd make a Duratrans. And if, you, if you're not familiar with the Duratrans, you're driving the street, night, you pass a bus shelter, and you see a photograph, and it's lit up. That particular piece of film, that's called a Duratrans. You can light it from behind, and the image comes through. Um, I would make Duratrans all the time and hang them behind my set. So it looked, when I was photographing it, like I was in an environment. Well, now I don't have to make these Duratrans pieces of film anymore. I can do that with AI. And I can, I can do it on set much quicker and change things out and not cost myself $300 a pop because Duratrans was, you know, about 300 bucks a piece for the size I would make it. Um, it's just, so it's, it's amazing. I, to me... I've got this whole new world that's opened up for me, but it's still just a part of what I had been doing before. And, and I think that's why it's making such a difference in my life. Um, it's just, it's, I love it. I'm kind of addicted to it. Yeah. it, it, in, here's, it here's devil's advocate real quick. Just to stick this yeah. in there. The AI, yeah, you can generate whatever the heck you want with AI, but there's also a bazillion micro stock services out there like pixels or you know unsplash mm. etc where you can go get a background you know of a of a swanky studio with a fireplace and a bar and the background right? <laughs> or a video clip and put that or you can in build it in real life <laughs> i know that's real by the way i'm pulling his leg that that is actually real change your perspective a little bit rob so people so people know that that's a real shot <laughs> uh it is my real studio there you go. Look, so, it's real. Look at that. Yeah. We're going to get to the messy kitchen here, but That's yeah, cool. stuff's real. Yeah. So, so, but I'm devil's advocate. So why not, why not just use stock photography for the backgrounds instead of generating something out of an AI? Well, you can't, there's no reason to say you can't. Um, but I think that it doesn't give you the same type of freedom that AI yeah. does. And that's why, that's why I say I'm kind of addicted to it. I'm excited about it because it's allowing me for a new creative freedom that I didn't have before. I think, I think one important distinction I want to make with being an AI user, mm -hmm. I think the best AI users are still artists, right? I, I, I wouldn't trust my CPA to come up with AI generated backgrounds for my photography 
I just don't think anybody can do it because it takes a lot of thought. It takes putting in weird prompts and things that are contradictory or off in order to get what you want out of it. Um, so it, it's just not a simple thing to say, okay, I'm just going to be, I'm going to do AI art. Yeah. You can generate a lot of stuff very quickly. Um, you can make a lot of really interesting things. I've, I've seen some other people in the business and, and some support crew that like want to get involved with it and they're creating stuff. And I'm like, what the hell are you creating? Like, honestly, what are you going to do with this? I can, there's nothing I can do with it. And you've created something that you can't expand on. You're saying it's a finished product, but what is the product? Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's, that's where the definition falls off. Right. 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 And, and what you're doing is like commercial, right? So there's, there's an yeah. obvious end game here, right? There's a client and you're the professional that they secured and you're executing on the vision that you, that you yeah. promised them. Um, the, the other side of it though is what, and we can talk about this in our, in our part two, where you actually show and tell, um, but yeah. there's other technologies out there, right? Beyond AI, like uh, Unreal Engine and Blender yeah. for doing 3D, photorealistic 3D type yeah. stuff or motion. I mean, they're using Unreal Engine in Star Wars and Mandalorian and yeah. these kind of things. Is is the path, like, is the path Rob with Duratrans, Rob <laughs> with, excuse me, Rob with AI and the display, and then Rob throws all that away and puts on his propeller hat and learns Unreal Engine and loads in alcohol bottle models, puts them in the jungle and renders it out. <laughs> so um, that's an interesting question. And it's one I've actually been asked before. I don't think that I am going to throw everything away and just render stuff. That just doesn't feel like me. Um, I'm not, I'm not really interested in learning that. I am interested in learning Unreal Engine. I have started to, to play around with uh, getting, getting some more information about it and seeing how it can incorporate into what I'm doing. I, I can clearly see uh, using Unreal Engine, but with my traditional sets, having a true digital wall behind me where I can now do motion, but I can have the parallax of the background move properly around a bottle, but I, I don't think I've rendered that bottle. I think that's still a very physical, very real in-studio bottle that I'm lighting and, you know, creating cocktails with and garnishing. So yeah, I don't think I put on my propeller hat. I think that I continue to find ways to incorporate new technology into what I do. Um, and I think that's actually really important. I'm going to make a bit of a brash statement in saying that I think it's important not to trade, not to chase fads. Like fads get you in trouble when, when people are like, oh man, that's the hottest new thing. So here's a, here's a good example in photography. How many images did you see in probably 2016, 15, 17, something like that? The super oversaturated painted lips dripping with all the makeup and the weird stuff and the different colors and the tea. I, they were everywhere. It was a fad. And I, I had a photographer that I was mentoring and, and she, she had one of those images and I'm like, pull it. I'm like, why? There, I can name 15 photographers that are doing it. She's like, yeah, but it's a trend. I'm like, okay. So you're, you're, you're doing it because it's a trend. You're not doing it because it's part of who you are as a photographer. And by, by incorporating something about that, it's elevating your work. I think you have to be very careful in this business not to 
do something because it's a trend or because everybody's running to, to it. I think you have to take a very serious look at who you are as an artist and figure out what parts, and it may be all of it, but what parts of a certain technology or category or technique fit with what you do and then incorporate it in what you do. That's at least that's, that's been my philosophy and it's worked for me. Yeah. How do you know though, Rob, how do you know what's a trend and what's what, like what, what's fleeting and what's permanent, right? Like <laughs> our, for example, are electric cars a trend and we're going to look back in 2030 and like, wow, we were insane yeah. back in 2023 and 24 with all these electric things, you know, look at those old superchargers well, over there with weeds on them, right? You've asked the age old question of humanity in that sense. How do we know? Well, we don't because we can't until we have hindsight and hindsight, as we know, is 2020 vision, 2020. Right? Yeah. Um, everybody was jumping on the, uh, the EV bandwagon. Everybody wanted an electric car, right? Um, and now it's like people have range anxiety. They can't go very far with them. And it turns out the batteries are a colossally expensive nightmare and environmental hell. And, uh, you know, so there's a yin and the yang. But I, again, even with, with that technology, I think it's going to shake loose a little bit. There are going to be parts of it that are going to stay in and have a real true benefit to people moving forward. And other parts of it that looked promising, we will go like, wow, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to answer your and question about the, picking- When you're in the storm, when you're in the storm, you don't know that you're in the storm, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, can I finish your thought? Well, I was going to say, to answer your question about picking trends or how do you know if it's a trend? Well, first and foremost, if you're just copying what somebody else is doing, it's a trend. If it's not, if you're not incorporating something about what you've seen that's inspired you into your work and you're basically just copying what they're doing, it's a trend. I, yeah. First and foremost, I think you need to put that in your mind. If you're not shooting something genuine to you and people couldn't distinguish between your shot and Michael's shot and I don't know, Alice's shot because it, the same image looks like it could be in anybody's portfolio, eh, you got a trend, right? Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Here, here's the other side of that HDR. Remember HDR? Yeah. yeah? And the whole world, yeah, yeah. the photography industry at least was insane for HDR. Everything had to be crunchy, yeah, yeah. oversaturated colors and yeah. it's going to be all yeah. the things. Right. So, and now HDR, it's still a thing. HDR was always a thing. It wasn't, it just wasn't yeah. pushed to the levels where, where photographers pushed it a couple of years ago. Is HDR gone? Is is that a good example of a trend? Like, was everybody following well, no, that cliff, you know? No, HDR is not gone. In fact, it's a great illustration of my point that the technology um, sheds itself and kind of gets rid of the stuff that's superflu superfluous and stays where it needs to stay. Like, where do you see HDR the most? Right. Right? In phones. So that technology, while it got overplayed, it, it kind of got shaken up a bit and it found the place where it has the most benefit. So I, I don't know. I think that's the thing about technology. It, um, it kind of explodes. It's a, it's a bubble. Everything's a bubble, right? I mean, dude, here's another really good example about this. This is my, I, maybe I'm being overly analytical, but the invention of the automobile was very similar to what we're experiencing now in that everybody who made a coffee grinder or manufactured anything in the early 1900s, they shifted gears and they started making cars. Did you know that there were over 4,000 automobile manufacturers in the United States alone in the 1920s and 30s? 
Four. I did not know that. Four thousand. Yeah, four thousand. There are lofts here in my hometown. In fact, my studio was the original Marmon Automobile dealership. Wasn't the manufacturer, but it was the dealership. Um, there are buildings all over this town that used to house automobile manufacturers. Everybody who manufactured something started making cars because the technology was new. Everybody wanted it. It was it was the new gold rush. Well. It had a bubble burst, right? And the ones that were good stayed and the rest of them, they all kind of disappeared. Um, we, Yeah, we've seen that in a lot of different places. And I guarantee you AI is a place where we're gonna see it again. So let's let's wrap this first part up. Um, with yeah. Just sort of a step-by-step walk through how you're creating these images. And there's a, you know, as, okay. as you're watching this video audience, there's a, if you're watching it on thisweekinphoto.com, there's a gallery of Rob's images uh, below the uh, things that we'll be talking about. So you can see visually what we're, what we're talking about. And then this next episode or the next thing that we're going to do, we're going to record kind of a, uh, a show and tell. Rob's going to bring up some images and discuss or dissect how he created them. But before we do that, to end this segment, Rob, What's, yeah. what's the flow? Like yesterday, I think you, you mentioned that there's sort of just the traditional foreground, midground, background elements that you put together, yeah. but the magic is in, I mean, in all of it, but in, in the context of today's conversation is in that background, right? It's in so, that mid journey. Yeah. Let me, let me talk about the process for both my portfolio work and my client work, which is effectively the same. And I also want to say that while I'm using AI, it's not the only thing I do. I still do a lot of traditional photography. So for me, everything that I do, whether it's AI based or traditional photography based, it starts with understanding the brand. To me, that is first and foremost, the, the key to making a successful image, because I'm not making an image for me. I'm making an image for my client always. And I have to remember that it's not what I want. It's what they need. So I have to understand the brand. Now with AI, understanding the brand gives me an opportunity to tell a brand story. So I'm going in and I'm looking at the brand identity. I'm looking at their colors. I'm looking at their ethos. I'm looking at their mission statements. I'm looking at where they kind of want to go. When I'm talking with ad agencies about what's going on with the brand, I'm, I'm learning from the ad agency folks what they've talked about with the brand and where they think it's going to go. Because remember, ad agencies are working in the future, right? They're, they're working to, pr to produce campaigns that are going to provide growth, that are going to move into the next campaign and keep going. So they're kind of projecting where a brand is going to go. When I can understand all that, I can now start to put together backgrounds that my bottles and cocktails are going to be situated in front of that are different than what I could create normally, different than what I could build in a set, different than I could go out and find on a location and come in and shoot and come back with. So I can target things. I can put in, like there's a Vim and Pedal shot um, that I did recently that I'm very, very happy with. I put in the colors of the brand. I put in several of the botanicals that were in the gin. I put in things like Japanese modernism and Japanese minimalism. And I, I kind of keyed in a bunch of different things about the bar. And it created an image for me, created four, and I drilled down on those. I created more and more and more. And one of the things I like about, about AI is I can produce 30, 50, 100 images, and I can start to really take a look at which one is gonna kind of fit my set more. Um, so I basically create an image in Mid Journey, 
And I'm, remember, it's too small, right? And it doesn't have very much detail. So I export it out of MidJourney. I take it into Magnifique AI, where I will blow it up a little bit, but give it a good amount of detail, which is pretty impressive. Um, and then I'm also going to go into uh, uh, Topaz, the Gigapixel AI, and blow it up even further because I need I need more I need more pixel data basically. Um, so I, I I don't just use one piece of AI. I basically use three or four. And then once I've got it to the size that I want, then I can put it on a monitor and that monitor sits behind my set. And I can play with the distance of that monitor. I can play with the size of the image on that monitor and I can shoot into it. And that image that I've created is my background. And what's important about it is it comes through all the glass. Because remember cocktails, bottles, liquids, they're transparent, they're translucent, they refract light, they reflect light, they do everything. And you see through them for the most part, maybe not a red wine bottle, but for most of them you see through. So the background is critical. I have to have that background come through all those transparent, translucent areas. The, the background actually has to refract in the bottle. What is on the right side of the background is gonna show up on the left side of the bottle on the inside of it and vice versa. That's something that you really can't do very easily in post-production. It takes a lot of work. Um, the, uh, the Haiku Vodka image that you'll, you'll, you'll notice as well, that's got this really crazy graphic that's kind of zoomy. And when you look at it, the background on the right side is very blue with all these stripes. The, the background on the left is red and in the bottle they're flipped. And the bottom of the bottle has all these crazy twisted flutes. I dare anybody to create that image in post-production because all those flutes and getting the background to twist and all that kind of stuff, it would be a monumental task. And it would never look as good as what I created because what I created is in camera. So I, I just think that there's a huge difference because even though I'm creating an AI background, it becomes a practical. So I, while I may be making something that isn't real, it becomes a real element in the set. It becomes a, pra a practical element. That's a huge distinction. I think that's what I kind of want to impart on people today and what I want them to think about. Um, and it, 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 to me, I, I'm so excited about it because I'm not changing what I do every day. I'm still getting behind my camera. I'm still pulling out my lights. I'm still lighting an object. I'm still trying to figure out what's gonna bring out that object the most. How am I gonna get all the important things on the label that the client has paid for, the silver foils, the gold foils, the embossing in the glass. All that is really important information that they've spent time and money to design. I've gotta bring it out as my job. I have to bring that out and really present it in a very good light. So I'm still sculpting as a lighter, I'm still I'm still composing as a photographer. I'm still crafting. I just have this opportunity now to make something imagined become a practical, real in-studio effect. That's powerful. Like, that's awesome. It is. That's, I mean, yeah. yeah, and the mind explodes with that because, yeah, because you yeah. can basically do anything you want. You're, are you working with a standard um, focal length and... You no, know, never <laughs> subject to lens distance and subject to background distance. And then you're just playing in between or is everything just like, you know, you're really bespoke? So, uh, no, subject to distance changes. I, there are a few images that I've that I've played with um, in, on the AI side that you'll see on my on my site that 
I've got a, basically my set or mirror butted right up against the monitor. I get, they're physically touching and that's to get the lines to move the way I want them to. In other images, I've got maybe 12 inches, maybe 24 inches, maybe even 30 inches between the monitor and the back of my set. Um, my set's still physical, so it's not like all of my cocktails and drinks are sitting on the back of the set. They're, they're dimensional. And what I photograph is going to depend on what I build, meaning if, if I'm doing a bottle standalone, I'm going to pick a very different lens. I'm going to pick something actually fairly long. But if I'm doing a shot where I've got a bottle and three different cocktails and maybe the corner of a charcuterie board or something, and you know, there, there's more of a scene, you bet I'm going to go wider. Now, I'm not going to go wide. I never really go that wide, but I, I might be on a 50. I might be on a 35. Um, so I can, for me, I can run the gamut between a 35 and a 120, uh, macro. I'm pretty much, I, I, I live in a 50, 85 area a lot with my, um, medium format work. I live a lot with the, with the 120. I just happen to love that, that lens. Um, but I change distances all the time. It, it, it really depends on what the subject matter is. Um. In fact, I had a client when I was at this ad agency today, they were kind of asking me about the process and how static it is. And I'm like, it's all job dependent. It, it, it has to be project based. At least I, that's the way I look at it. I can't, I can't come to a project with the same preconceived lens and f-stop and lighting schematic in mind. It just doesn't work for me necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise they'll, they'll just build an AI, a grim AI or AI that you <laughs> just type in what you want and it'll like, okay, right. here's our virtual camera, here's our subject, here's the background and right. render it. Yeah. Oh. Right. Well, cool, man. Let's leave this part, let's leave this segment right here and move into the yep. uh, to the next bit, which is going to be kind of just a quick show and tell. Uh, for the folks that are watching this and are like, yeah, I need to go check this guy's workout. This is super interesting. Where would you like them to go? What's a good place for them to point their browsers to? They should go to rggphoto.com. So that's rgg photo.com. That will take you right to my work. Um, and you'll see an AI page, you'll see traditional food, you'll see traditional beverage, and you'll see motion stuff there. Um, so that's where I would direct everybody. And you know what, before we get off uh, onto the doing the stuff that, that people will see visually, um, for the people that are just listening, one of the things that I I want to kind of give a shout out to is the International Photography Hall of Fame. It's an organization that I've gotten um, involved with lately, and it's really a fabulous, fabulous resource. It contains so much about the history of photography, but it's also a, a place where photography, I think, is really going to be going. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be doing a series of different podcasts for the International Photography Hall of Fame, and I really hope that people will take a look at it because uh, I think that there's a lot to learn. And for me, the history of photography is so important. I just kind of want to pass it on. So if you have a minute, go to IPHF.org and take a look at it. I would appreciate it. And what's the URL one more time? IPHF, so International Photography Hall of Fame.org, IPHF.org. All right, perfect. Got it. And I'll put Thanks it in the show notes and in the description. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's important. You're right, right? Um, the history of photography is, you know, dwindling. Like a lot of us know, I, I would even say myself, I'm not deep into, I couldn't tell you like when Cartier-Bresson was born, right? But I know what he's about, right? And I would guess that a lot of photographers today don't even know who Cartier-Bresson was. So Probably not. 
Right. Probably not. Right. So uh, you got to know where you've, where you've been to know where you're going, right? Yeah, it's interesting. And there's some people that will probably surprise you. Um, I, if you're a music fan and you know um, Crosby, Steels, and Nash or Crosby, Steels, and Nash and Young or the Hollies, uh, you probably know Graham Nash's name. You probably don't know that Graham Nash is also an incredible photographer in, in the International Photography Hall of Fame. Um, he's been one of the most important photographers to develop the archival print process, particularly in the digital age. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of amazing the things that you will learn on IPHF.org. It's really pretty cool. And I, I, I don't know, I want people to, to know the history of photography because it's so important. How do you know where we're going unless you know where you come you came from a little bit? I mean, it's just exactly, exactly. Important. What's the what's what was the thing that Nash uh, pioneered? One of the things was it the glisse a glisse? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yep. I think not only that. I think he was also very involved with iris printing as well. Um, mm -hmm. But Nash Editions has kind of become the place to go for any kind of archival printing whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's just, it's pretty fascinating. I love stories like that. I love it. All right. Well, let's end this one. And if you're listening to this podcast or watching this video on YouTube, the next one is right after this, right? So we're, we'll do a logical end, but you know, everything's together on YouTube, but the audio bits will be on the podcast at thisweekinphoto.com or subscribe to the show wherever fine podcasts are found. Rob Grimm. Thank you, sir. And uh, yeah, say goodbye to part one. Let's start part two. Thank you, Frederick. Appreciate it. This is Twitch.